throughout the book of Genesis, we've seen this interesting dance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Uh, You can see that God is in sovereign control over human history. As human history is unfolding throughout the book of Genesis, you can see the hand of God present within individuals and within stories, within nations. But we also see this dynamic of human sin, poisoning, destroying the order that God has made. And yet in God's sovereignty, he allows this to happen. He allows Adam and Eve to fall. He allows sin to run rampant. He allows sin to run rampant to the point that he judges the world with an enormous flood. God has a greater plan. And so what we see from this passage is something remarkable, that God is sovereign over every aspect of our lives in such a way that he wants to display his glory in mercy and judgment. God works despite our sin in order to bring about goodness, to bring about mercy, to bring about judgment, to bring about grace. And this story is one of the two premier stories that the New Testament picks up and deals with quite extensively. It's an example of the way that God works within human history. As we approach this text, it's worth noting the profound mystery concerning God's sovereignty and our responsibility as his human creatures. It's interwoven throughout this passage. And God uses imperfect vessels like you and me to display his mercy. But he also uses vessels to display his justice and judgment. So we're going to get into this. And I want to show you guys three things that I think you need to understand about God and his character from the passage. And these are my three points that we're going to work through in this sermon. Number one, God is sovereign despite us. Number two, God is sovereign over us. And number three, God is sovereign and we are not. So let's dive into it. First point, God is sovereign despite us. Genesis 27 from verse one, please read with me. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older brother, which were in with, with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. 
So he went in to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garment and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son. It is as the smell of a field that the Lord is blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Here we see this return to the struggle between these brothers. From the womb, these boys have been struggling with each other for the blessing of God. Esau sold his birthright, if you remember, to Jacob for a bowl of soup. And Esau had this wrong assumption that it would never come back to bite him, that he would never have to actually follow through with this oath that he made. He had confidence that Jacob would never receive the blessing. And he's been courting his father's favor. He's been the favorite of Isaac. And he has no expectation in any way that he is going to lose this birthright. Isaac's going to pass the blessing of Abraham onto Esau, the promise of the land, uh, and ultimately of the Messiah that was first given to Abraham, then to Isaac, is now going to be passed on to Isaac's wayward son, Esau. And Isaac is old. He's blind. He's expecting his death to come in any moment. And it's interesting that he doesn't consider the promise given to Rebecca so long ago when she was pregnant with these twins. Do you remember that promise? Uh, we'll sneak a quick look, Genesis 25, 23. It says, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older, note this, shall serve the younger. Maybe Isaac didn't hear about that promise. Maybe. Maybe Rebecca just kept it to herself and he never, he never found out about it. Perhaps Isaac did actually hear about this prophecy and he didn't understand it or he didn't consider it to apply to him right now. And I think the latter is most likely. I think Isaac knew about this, but I don't think he quite understood it and what it meant in regard to the blessing of Abraham. And Isaac, he's culturally bound to bestow the blessing upon the firstborn son, even if Esau was only born by a few short minutes. Esau was strong. He was powerful. He was assertive. He seemed to have more direction in his life. He was married. What about Jacob? On the other hand, he's quiet. He's domestic. And he seems weak. He was a bit of a disappointment. And so Isaac is addressing this situation and he's working out, which son do I give the blessing to? And he knows he's got this pressure to give it to the firstborn son. And Esau just seems like the best candidate. Now, humans are often like this. 
Uh, we think that the blessings of God reside more in the wise and clever, the mighty and honorable things, when God often chooses the weak, lowly, foolish things to show his strength in. He takes foolish things and he turns them into strength by his Holy Spirit. I'm sure the Apostle Paul has this story we're reading in the back of his mind when he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. This is Christians in the church. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And Jacob in this passage, he's the weaker unimpressive, effeminate man. And yet God delights in taking men like this and turning them through suffering into strong, wise, hardworking, God-centered men. And why does God work like this? He does it to bring himself glory. He does this with all people. You look at men and women that God has worked through throughout the course of human history and, and through his church. Uh, look at our churches as well. What do you see? You see the grace of God because without the grace of God, we would have been lost. Without the grace of God, we would have still been the despised, lowly, weak, foolish things of this world. And yet God works in the midst of that to establish strength by his Holy, Holy Spirit and to bring the strong things to nothing. And so Isaac calls in Esau and he sends him off to hunt one last time to go and hunt for some game. He wants uh, a sign of affection from his son Esau. He wants it to be like the good old days, that sign of that connection they both had together when Esau would go out and hunt and they would be bonded by this sort of masculine experience they both had. And there's one problem, though. Rebecca overhears this. And we know who Rebecca's favorite is. Her favorite is Jacob. And she's immediately concerned. Why? She knows the promises of God. She knows that God had prophesied over her sons, and she knows that Esau would serve Jacob. Jacob's her favorite, and she trusted the promise of God that he would receive the blessing. She has good intentions. She wants to see God's will completed. But there's one problem. He decides to use deception to bring about, in her mind, what God's will is. She hatches this deceptive plan, seeking to take advantage of her husband's old age and blindness. Uh, they kill a couple of goats, using their meat to prepare some delicious meals and using their skins to try to pass off as Esau's hairy arms. I mean, Esau must have been this bear of a man. He must have, I mean, I met some hairy guys. And uh, goat skins is actually quite plausible. I know one particular mate of mine, you feel his arms and you just think, man, that guy actually feels like a goat. This plan might just work. However, Jacob is worried. He's smooth skinned. He's a little dainty. His father has to touch the exact right spots and nothing else. He's got to touch the exact right spots where the goat skin is. And perhaps Isaac would catch on to this scheme. He might find out. He might end up cursing Jacob and not blessing him. I mean, it's going to eventually come to light. They can't get away with it forever. It's probably, it's going to come to light that very day. Everyone's going to know what they have done. Would Isaac annul it? 
Would he decide, you know what, I'm not going to bless you anymore because you've deceived me? Would Esau seek vengeance? We're going to soon find out that, yes, he will. Jacob is rightly worried. This plan has a lot of holes in it. But this wasn't the only course of action available to Rebecca. She didn't need to do this. God is in control. And he doesn't need us to employ deception in order to bring about his own will. She, that is Rebecca, could have gone into Isaac and reminded him about this prophecy she told him so long ago. She could have pleaded with him to bless Jacob instead. She could have reminded Isaac that Esau is faithless. He sold his birthright. He's married some dodgy Canaanite women. It's likely that Isaac would have changed his mind or at least considered what she said. And yet she doesn't trust the plan of God enough to take that risk. She takes matters into her own hands. This is serious. God takes this stuff seriously. Deuteronomy 27, 18. God says, cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road and all the people shall say amen. God sees this as a terrible sin to mislead a blind person, to take advantage of their disability. Uh, We should take heed of this situation because whether we have good intentions or not, we are not permitted to sin in order to bring about God's plan. And you might say, how do we do that? How how are we sinning in order to bring about God's will? But we do it a lot. Some have good intentions to share the good news of Jesus with people. But fear often causes them to only speak of Jesus' goodness and grace, giving the unsaved this false assurance of salvation. They think they're doing good, but they're actually wronging their brother. They're wronging that person by not telling them the truth. Sometimes a group of people may form a Bible study But then that Bible study just turns into a weekly gossip session. Other times a pastor might denounce a sin from the pulpit, except it's really just manipulation thinly veiled as godliness, especially sometimes that they're denouncing a particular person they disagree with in the audience. Churches have blown up in members meetings. Husbands thump their chest demanding submission. Wives nagging their husbands and rebranding it as advice. The intentions might be good, but it is still disobedience to God. We are not the Holy Spirit. We do not get to bring about God's plans through sin. God brings about his plans. But notice this, God in his sovereignty allows this deception to happen. He allows this all to take place. It is all perfectly within his good and holy plan. He allowed Isaac, his faithful servant, to be taken advantage of. But notice this, this terrible sin that is being perpetrated on him by his own wife and his own son will not get the last say because God is in control despite our sin. The deceit is not disqualifying. God's grace abides still. God will have the glory in bringing good out of evil because God specializes in bringing glory to himself through his own purposes, and he even uses evil to bring about, bring about his own praise. And so Jacob goes to his father and lies, and he lies and he continues to lie despite being given so many opportunities to come clean. Isaac at first is confused by Jacob's voice. He's confused that he made it back so quick from the hunting trip, and Jacob lies to him. Isaac asks Jacob to come close to feel him, and what happens again? Jacob lies to him. 
Then Isaac asked one last time, verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? And how does Jacob respond? He answered, I am. He's all in. He's all in. He's deceived his old blind father and he gets the blessing meant for Esau. Their terrible scheme pays off. And do you know what? God had planned for all this to occur. God brings about his plan despite us. He brings about his plan despite our sin. And if you are scandalized by this message, if you're scandalized by what happens right here, you don't realize that God has brought about his plan in your life in the same way. He brought about his plan in your life despite your sin. God didn't let your sin disqualify you. If it was up to me, I would lose my salvation in a heartbeat. If it was up to us, we'd receive the curse of sin. We would be rightly punished and deserve every ounce of that punishment from God. But it is by God's grace and mercy alone that will give Jacob this blessing, this immense blessing of wealth and prosperity. He will rule over many nations. He will be Lord over his brothers. He'll receive the sovereign protection of God. Whoever's going to curse him, God's going to curse them. Whoever blesses him, God will bless them. Before Jacob can start celebrating, he doesn't realize that this is going to come with a great cost. This blessing will come with a great cost. I mean, God is sovereign despite us, but this leads me to my second point. God is sovereign over us. We're going to keep reading from verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came and I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, oh, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all these brothers I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father answered him and said to him, behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Well, it didn't take long for Jacob's deception to be realized. As soon as he, Isaac finishes blessing Jacob, Esau returns from his hunting trip. And this isn't a coincidence. He starts preparing his meat. He's completely unaware of what's happened. He goes into the tent and he's shocked to find out that his father has no idea who he is. 
This is the moment when Isaac realizes what has happened and trembles. He's blessed the wrong man. And this painful realization hits Esau. He's been rejected. He's been rejected by God. Esau will have no part in the covenant to Abraham. Esau, he pleads, he cries loud, he's desperate. You know, he's seeking the blessing of God, but it's too late. He's too late. He waited until now to repent for selling his birthright. He waited until now to repent and it's too late. It's already been given. He can't get it back. You can hear the pain and desperation in his voice. He says, bless me, even me also, oh my father. And he will not receive it. He sold it long ago. See, there is a time for seeking repentance. There is a time for seeking the blessing of God. And the time was up for Esau. He will not receive the blessing. There was nothing to be done. Hebrews 12, 15 and 17, really listen to these words. Paul says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many have become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, even though he sought it with tears. It's heavy. God has decreed that salvation can be sought in this life and this life alone. Just as Esau was too late to receive the blessing, after this life comes the judgment and it's too late. It's too late. For human beings who exchange the glory of the immortal God for the the fading pleasures of this world, this is bad news. Esau exchanged the blessing of God for a bowl of soup. He despised his birthright. Many despised the offer the free offer of grace given by Jesus. Paul in Hebrews warns us, don't go the way of Esau. Don't go his way. He pursued all manner of immorality and unholiness. He married multiple women. He sold his birthright for a single meal. He thought it would turn out okay in the end, but it didn't. The word of God is here to tell you that that is not the case. Listen, without Jesus, it will not turn out okay in the end. It will be a disaster. There will be no tears. There'll be no pleading that will fix it. Could your tears forever flow? It would not atone. There is no other name given among among men by which we can be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. And we are given the time right now in this life alone. When we die, it is too late. Paul in Hebrews urges Christians to seek God while he can be found. See to it that you obtain the grace of God. God is giving you the opportunity now. Don't wait. Repent now. Seek God now while he can be found. We do not know our days. We do not. God has numbered our days. Only he alone knows our days. Isaac, when he was old and he's doing all these blessings right now, he is old and he doesn't know when his time will be up. There is a time when God will be found. And then there is a time where God's patience will run out. Enter while the door is open. Enter while the door is open. Whatever it takes, obtain the grace of God through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Cast your sins to the side. Follow Jesus. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his soul? 
Jesus puts it best, Luke 13, 24 to 27. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Jesus' message is so clear to us, isn't it? Strive to enter through the narrow door. Many reject Jesus. But even more scary, many pretend that they have accepted him while living in unrepentance. Many pretend to follow him and have obtained his grace and yet will be rejected at that time. Esau, he prays and he begs Isaac to change it. So why doesn't? Couldn't Isaac change it? Couldn't Isaac just come in and say, you know what? He did deceive me. So I'm going to give you the blessing now. He doesn't. Why? Isaac realized this was God's will. He sensed God's amen to this blessing. God wanted Jacob to receive the blessing. And Isaac finally understood this prophecy that Rebekah had told him so long ago. By faith, Isaac kept the blessing of Jacob intact. You might be thinking, how on earth did I get that? Hebrews 11.20 says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Isaac kept the blessings. Esau's been rejected, but he is not left without anything. Isaac does give him a blessing, albeit it's not the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, The ESV translates this section as, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. Now, this doesn't sound like a blessing because it sounds like he's not going to receive those things. It actually sounds a little bit like a curse. Now, the ESV has a little footnote. If you have the ESV Bible, you'll know a little footnote down the bottom of your Bible. Uh, It will indicate that it could also be translated as, Behold, of the fatness of your earth shall your dwelling be. And I don't often differ with the ESV translation because it's a great translation, but I think the King James Version has a beautiful translation of this. It says, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And I opt for this translation because it would be strange for Isaac to say he's going to bless Esau and then turn around and curse him. And we know as the story goes on that Esau is a very blessed man and he does receive the fatness of the earth and he does receive the dew of heaven. Uh, It reminds us that God still provides good things to his enemies. He still provides good things to those who reject him. Matthew 5.45, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, God is so merciful and compassionate that he provides for and cares for those who will reject him and fall under his judgment. He abides patiently with vessels prepared for wrath and destruction. Isaac makes a prophecy of the future at the end of this blessing. He says that the descendants, just know that the descendants of Esau are called the Edomites. And all throughout the story of Israel, they are often subjugated by Israel. The Edomites are often served 
the younger brother as nations, but they never once rule over Israel. Note that never does the Edomites rule over Israel. And then it says at the end of that blessing that they um, says right at the end of that blessing that you shall break his yoke from your neck. What does that mean? Uh, Second Kings 20, in his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. The Edomites, this is a prophecy from Isaac. This is just quick to the side. Um, in the distant future, they're going to break the yoke of Israel. And you can see dripping from almost every word of this blessing, the sovereignty of God. As God empowers Isaac to make correct blessings, God is in control over us. And many chafe at this. Many think that over uh, that, that God has no right to trespass on our minds, that God has no right to trespass within our lives, but there is no such thing. God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. Many are aggravated by God being sovereign. Many are ag- aggravated by God being in control. And Esau was too. Esau was definitely aggravated by this. He is not satisfied. And look, Esau wanted the blessing one way or another. He will get that blessing no matter what he has to do. And he resolves, I will kill Jacob. Then I will get this blessing. I will get my vengeance on Jacob. That brings me to my third point, that God is sovereign and we are not. Let's keep reading verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob. Because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life? Be to me. We see Esau going the route of Cain. He's going to murder his brother for being accepted and him being rejected. And once Isaac dies and the inheritance is being sorted out, that is when Esau will mourn for his father and then kill Jacob and take it all for himself. He plans to have the blessing one way or another. And Esau, he simply hasn't learned. He can't override God's plans. He isn't in control. No matter how strong he thinks he is, no matter how uh, strong he's able to exert his will and influence over others, God is in the driver's seat. No amount of charisma or wealth or power or status or prosperity will give us power over the future. Only God is in control and we are not. Esau thinks he can kill Jacob and get away with it. That heaven and earth will be conformed to his will. And how foolish are humans? We have this erroneous view that we can shift and shape the world to suit our own purposes only for reality to come and just slap us in the face. Esau just got a big, hard dose of reality. You can't just go sell your birthright and expect nothing to come about it from it. 
He still thinks he can control the outcome. <laughs> Rebecca overhears this and says that he is comforted by this. See, she's planned and plotted deceptively, and now she's stuck in her schemes. Rebecca is now forced to plan and plot on Jacob's behalf to save him. And the sad reality is sending him away will likely be the last time she sees him. Jacob is going to be sent away for 21 years. It's a long time. By the time he returns, most scholars agree that Rebecca has died. Regardless of how Rebecca has tried to control the situation, just as Esau is doing, she is not in control. God is. She convinces Isaac to let Jacob go and find a wife from their own people. Isaac allows this to occur and Jacob flees from Esau's vengeance. But Rebecca doesn't realize that now she has been bereft of her son. In sending him away to Laban, in sending him away to Haran, she thinks that one day she will see him again, that she won't be bereft of him, but she's not in control. It's likely the last time she sees her beloved son. It's sad, very sad. Sin warps and comes back to bite us. We pretend that we can control the world through deceit and manipulation only to find that we are not in control at all, but God is. And I want to close real briefly just by going back to verse 13, chapter 27. Rebecca says something very interesting to Jacob. She says, let your curse be on me, my son. Inherent within that phrase is this expectation that she has, that she has the ability and authority to bear the curse that might be placed on Jacob. She thinks she is worthy enough to bear the curse. But God is in control and Rebecca is not. She doesn't have the ability to bear the curse of her own sin, let alone the sin of her son, Jacob. We might be powerless to bear the weight of sin and death, but praise be to God that God even is sovereign over death, that God even is sovereign over our sin. And he works despite it. He works through it. He, work, he controls things and orchestrates it in such a way to bring himself glory, honor, and praise. The promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know is fulfilled ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ. It is fulfilled ultimately through God's true son, his obedient son, the only one worthy enough to bear the curse of others. And here we find humans plotting and planning, trying to bring about God's will, trying to uh, thwart God's will. And we see in Jesus, the obedient son who operates only according to God's will, who never once deceived, who never once sinned, who never once cried out and cursed and blessed those who were attacking him and mocking him and spitting on him. He was the only one strong enough, moral enough, obedient enough, compassionate enough to bear the weight of our sins. And not just the one person, but the whole world. Through Christ's death on the cross, the curse of sin is broken. The grave has been defeated. And all those who would believe in the Son will be saved. And in this passage, we see two sons, Jacob and Esau, and we see, especially with Esau, a son wayward, a son assuming things are going to turn out right in the end. 
as the son who despises his own birthright, his own blessing in God. But we must understand the door is open to all. Repentance is always available to us. Faith in Jesus is always available to us while we yet breathe. Enter while there's still time. There will be many who plead and seek repentance with tears and will not find it. See to it that you do not fail to obtain the grace of God. Examine yourself. See whether you are in the faith. Examine yourself and see whether or not you have true faith and repentance in Jesus. And I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm not saying this to give you anxiety. I'm saying this to give you confidence because you do not save yourself, but Jesus saves you. Trust in him. I'm pointing you to Jesus. Enter through that narrow door. Do not establish your own righteousness. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to read these passages and to see your mercy and sovereignty, but also, Lord, that you bring us great fear when we see judgment. And, Lord, how terrifying a thought to be rejected by you, how terrifying a thought to be outside of your kingdom, to have that door shut in our face and to not have entry. And so, Father, I pray for my friends. Lord, we know that in churches there are many that come in and don't understand your gospel, but I pray that all people, in our churches, would hear and respond to the gospel, that all those Christians who know and love you and walk by faith, Lord, would be encouraged and strengthened in their faith, that they would recognize that their own obedience, their own righteousness is as filthy rags before you, but Lord, your righteousness and your works are so much better than ours, and that by merely trusting in your gift of free grace, we can obtain it. And Father, I also pray for many who erroneously believe that they are part of your kingdom, who think that they are in the house but have not entered through the door. Lord, I pray that you would bring a great fear upon them, that they would know that these things are true and that their sin is deadly and will destroy them and that by believing and trusting in your son Jesus, they can be saved. And Lord, for those that don't know where they are with Jesus and don't know if they believe in you, Lord, I just pray for those people too, that they would also recognize the goodness in your son, Jesus, that they recognize that many ways their life is like Esau and they think everything's going to turn out all right in the end, but we know it will not unless we trust in Jesus and in his blood and his righteousness and his mercy. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.